Thank you, Jesus. I believe this is our last service. Brother Sister Bully, right? You got one more? Yeah, see, I'm always ahead of schedule. I'm notoriously early for appointments. I waste a lot of time that way, but I hate being even 30 seconds late. It's just, I don't know. Y'all pray for me. But when it comes to the rapture, you want to be on time. 30 seconds going to make a big difference when it comes to the rapture. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Let's turn to the screen. After how many years we're finally learning to not say let's turn in our Bibles because we all look to the screen. One of these days the screen will be out and we'll turn back to our Bibles or our telephones or our iPads. Thank you, Jesus. You know what I love about the iPad? I have my entire library everywhere I go. Everything is right there. Isn't that really great? used to have to carry big briefcases and stuff with all the technology can be a blessing if it's used properly. Isaiah 9, beginning in verse 1 through 3 and in verse 6. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. When at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulon, the land of Nephtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. We're going to end up in Galilee in a few minutes. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Verse 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Can you imagine? what it will be like during the millennial reign to where the government will be upon Christ's shoulder. He will be the government. There will be no corruption. There will be no graft. There will be no deception. There will be no lies. He will govern the earth for a thousand years. Now, this is a pretty good time to be alive, but wow. To be alive on the earth during the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ is the next best thing to being in heaven. Praise God. Lord bless you. you may be seated. Isaiah's words that we have read uh, moments ago will not serve as our text, but more of a launching pad of what we're going to talk about here today. Speaking prophetically, 750 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah said, unto us a child is born, and unto us, I like that us part, a son is given. So the person of Christ, or the child, or 
His humanity is to be born. It is to be begotten. And uh, it would be that that would take place in Bethlehem. But the sonship of Christ is something that was given. It was divinely given by or bestowed upon him by the almighty God. Isaiah further stated that the government or the Misra or all authority would rest solely upon his shoulder. He would bear alone the responsibility for governing not only the children of Israel or the Middle East, but the entire world will rest upon the shoulder of Jesus Christ. In other words, this child that is to be born and this son that is to be given will singularly by himself bear the burden of rulership. Amen. This means that he will not be required to answer to anybody, to anyone, but will be completely sovereign in his eternal existence and in his judgment. Now, I'm going to talk about the, the triune aspect of God in a minute. That goes completely against the grain of a Trinitarian. They almost probably want to regurgitate when dealing with this particular aspect of the authority and the power and the deity of Jesus Christ. The prophet also said that men would use such superlatives as wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace in order to describe his name, which we know to be Jesus. The Apostle Paul emphatically declared in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, and without controversy, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. You got to love this. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. So I ask you, if Jesus is not the one and only single almighty God, then when else did God do these things? The current mystery, however, concerning the Godhead is how in over Two billion so-called Christians could somehow believe in a trinity of three co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent beings seeing that the Bible emphatically from cover to cover declares that there is just one God. Deuteronomy 6 and 4, the foundation upon which the kingdom of God rests. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And I'm going to tell you, anything that defies that is false truth. Anything that denounces that is not true. There's one God, and his name is Jesus. I will take my stand on 
1, Deuteronomy 6 and 4, any day. Malachi 2 and 10, have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Elohim, Brother Boley, he asked me about that Friday. Let us make man in our image. Ask me that. He asked me that. That's all right. Elohim is plural, referring to the plural nature and attributes of God. There's only one God who stretched out the heavens by himself. Woo! Worship wore me out. The old timers, we need to take a break between. Of course, I'm not an old timer, but I'm just referring to if I was. <laughs> Somebody said, uh, talked about being over the hill. I said, I'm not over the hill, I'm under the bridge. Deuteronomy 4:35 Unto thee it was showed that thou mightest know that the Lord he is God there is none else beside him. Now when I was preparing some of these verses of scripture I thought unto the Lord that there must be somebody in the house today that has a question about the Godhead and so God wants me to read some of these things, not only for that reason, but to establish the unmitigated power and authority of Almighty God, because we're going to get to that in a minute. Deuteronomy 35, 39, Know therefore this day, and consider it in thine heart, that the Lord, he is God in heaven above, and upon earth beneath there is none else. Isaiah 45, I love that chapter. 21, tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Therefore he said, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is none else I have sworn by myself. The word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. I was sitting on my hands when you were teaching, Brother Pearl. I was so cold, but I'm not cold anymore. <laughs> Praise God. Every knee will bow. The Old Testament God said, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear unto me. But look at Philippians 2, verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow 
of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's why it's okay to give glory and honor and praise unto Jesus because Jesus is the mighty God. It's the reason why they won't baptize in Jesus' name. Besides the fact they don't even believe baptism is essential for salvation. Our Lord, help us. The absolute deity of Jesus Christ was apparently an issue, an ongoing issue, I must add, among the 12 disciples. For upon entering into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked them a poignant question. Actually, it didn't get too poignant until the next question. But he says, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? What's the scuttlebutt? What's the, what's the, what are people saying about who I am? They replied, because they had heard all of that stuff. They said, some say that thou art John the Baptist. Well, that's pretty good since John had his head cut off. Well, some say you're Elijah. Others suggest you could possibly be Jeremiah. Or certainly you must be or he must be one of the prophets. But Jesus wasn't interested what everybody else thought. He really didn't care about what everybody else was saying. And so he candidly asked them, here's the pungent question, who do you say that I am? I don't care what they think. What I want to know is what you think. Simon Peter blurts out, of course, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, to which Jesus replies, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed uh, it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now you've got to understand something. Even though he said that and believed that and knew that, it wasn't the full revelation of who Jesus was. They were still somewhat befuddled, scratching their heads about who he really was because there was a contradiction going on. So it's remarkable to me that even after this exchange, the disciples continued to struggle with reconciling the humanity of Christ with the deity of Christ. It was an ongoing struggle, and they would continue to struggle with that until after the resurrection. And even some of them would continue to struggle even after that. I can only surmise that the primary reason for the struggle was because they knew Jesus in the flesh. They knew the man, Christ Jesus, who was also the Son of God. So although they had watched him perform incredible miracles, I mean to the point of walking on water, calming the sea, raising the dead, opening blind eyes, healing the leper, healing uh, the crippled, those with, they watched him do incredible things. They also saw him get hungry. They also watched him when he was tired and fatigued and had to stop 
and rest for a while. They also saw him when he would become angry with situations. They, they also observed other limitations associated with his humanity. And all of that that they saw contradicted when against the fact that he was also God manifest in the flesh. They struggled about the fact that this could possibly be or this was the eternal God. And so while Jesus may have calmed the storm on the sea, they had to wake him up in order for him to do it. You see the problem they're dealing with here. If he's God, why are we even in a storm? If he's really God, why is that wind even picking up when we've asked it to calm down? So while it's true that God never sleeps, Jesus Christ was both the Son of Man and the Son of God. And if you're going to understand the Godhead and the deity of Christ, you're going to have to get that flesh spirit thing down to have an understanding of it. It's one thing to believe it. You need to do more than believe it. You need to be able to explain it. When somebody asks you, well, why did he cry out on the cross, Father? Flesh was abandoned by the Spirit, was interacting with the eternal Spirit of God. John 14, 6 through 9, we are going somewhere. I know you're wondering about that, but we'll, we'll get there in a minute. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If he had known me, he should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. In his attempt to merge the concept of his humanity and his deity in the minds of his disciples, this prompted Philip, to make the following request, verse 8. So Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. You know, we know what you're saying, but we can't wrap our mind around it. I don't know how long you've been living for God, but if there are not some things about God that you still Cannot wrap your mind around there's something wrong. As he continues to unfold and reveal himself to us, I hope that you're still saying, God, you gotta, you got to show that to me. I'm just not really getting the picture that you're trying to show me. If, if the last revelation you had of God was 35 years ago, There's something wrong. God wants to continue to unfold and reveal himself to his people. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me has seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? I'm glad to be in the company of men and women who believe in one God. The disciples were not the only ones who struggled with the 
reconciling the deity of Christ or the, that deity had merged with flesh. The disciples were on the front line. They were on the front seat of every Bible study, of every parable that was told, of every sermon he preached, and yet they struggled. But they were not the only ones. Matthew 13, verse 53, it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. When he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man? this wisdom, and these mighty works. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him, but Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. When you think about this, Pharaoh cannot hold back the power of God, but the Galileans did. Pharaoh's army could not stop God from delivering the Israelites, taking him through the Red Sea, but the Galileans did. They stopped his power. They shut up the well. They stopped the flow. They shut down his virtue. Why did Jesus even go to Galilee in the first place? He knew what to expect. Why did he even go? He went there to be a blessing to those precious people that lived where he grew up. He was returning the kindness that they had shown to him and to his family. To his mother when his father Joseph, his earthly father at least, passed away. And his intention was, his plan was to heal every one of them. To relieve them of their heavy burdens. To free them of the pain and the sickness and the diseases that had made their way into their bodies. He went there to be a blessing unto them, and he placed no other requirements on them other than all you have to do is believe. I'm not sure which it is, whether they were unable to believe or whether they were unwilling to believe. Either way, it was because they could see standing before them a man. That's all they could see was a man. All they could see was Mary's son. All they could see was the son of a carpenter. All they could see was half of Isaiah's prophecy. A son or a, a child is born. That's all they could see was the child, the man, the, the, the earthly image of Almighty God. That's all that they saw when they looked at Jesus Christ. Who does he think he is? We know you. We knew you when you were 
a child. And now you stand here speaking with all of this authority and wisdom. You're just the son of a carpenter. And so when you think about it, these people missed the opportunity of a lifetime. A once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. They missed it, and they missed it for one single reason. Because of how they perceived the man. With all of the things in God's creation, one single thing robbed them of the miraculous. It was because of their perception of the man. Mark 6 and 5 says he could there do no mighty work save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. There are a few sick people that got healed. Probably, I'm just saying probably wasn't anything serious. A few sick folk was healed. And even though Jesus had the power to heal every one of them, the most serious of conditions, the most painful of conditions that was in their bodies, he didn't. Because the Bible says he could not do any mighty works because of their unbelief. So I'm going to tell you right now, we all have the God-given ability to perceive things in whatever way we choose. Based on whatever knowledge we have or whatever revelation is given us or whatever background we have or, or however we choose to perceive things. Just like Brother Pearl, you can perceive the day as bad or you can perceive it as good. I heard a guy on the radio uh, not long ago, a very well-known individual. I never heard of him, but uh, he was talking about depression. He had written a book about depression, was helping other people with depression. He said, I dealt with this my whole life. And he, he said, here's the thing, how he explains it. Everything around me is really good and great and glorious, but between my ears, it's horrible. His perception of everything, though it was good, was that it was horrible. Perception is going to make the difference whether you're healed today or whether you leave here sick. I mean, if Lee Stone King anointed you, your perception would change. But if he anoints you, is your faith in Lee or in Phil? Think about it. If Kleindienst was here, the charismatic and anointed prophetic ministry of Brother Klein did. said, he prayed for you, that's one thing. But if I prayed for you or, or Brother Locke prayed for you, or, yeah, you see what I'm talking about? Perception is everything. There's been a stigma on these people ever since that day. That stigma has been carried down through the ages and still exists to this day because we are still talking about it. But I want you to know that I am not qualified to stand in judgment over them. I'm not going to stand in the position of condescension even though I have been healed a few times in my life. 
And the reason that I'm not qualified is because there have been some things that has hindered my faith through the years. There have been some things that have got in my way of my miracle and my blessing. More than once, more than twice, many times you may be sitting there and look at me as if it's never happened to you, but you're lying to yourself. So we're not going to sit here today and we're, gonna, we're not going to judge those people because of, oh, my God, for their unbelief. Uh-uh. One of the things that we learn from that particular account and from other similar events is that when God is among his people, he is there to bless them. He's not there to curse them. He's not there to condemn them. Doesn't mean he's pleased with us at all times, but he's there to help us and bless us and save us and deliver us and heal us. He's only here right now for one reason. He's here to bless every individual that's in this room. He wants you to be better when you walk out than you were when you walked in. That's the only reason he's here. You understand that, right? So every time that God responds to our faith and to our prayer and to our praise and our worship and he brings his presence and, and a host of angels with him into the sanctuary, I want to assure you and promise you that he's here to be a blessing. He wants to touch everyone in a wonderful and a miraculous way. I want to make sure that you knew that. He went to Galilee to bless them. He was unable to, but he wanted to. And the fact that he wasn't able to do great things in Galilee must not stop us today from receiving whatever God has in store for us, whatever blessing he has for us. And I'm going to say something. I, I don't even know. I hope this came from God, but I'm going to say it. If, if you're in pain and you walk out of here in pain and you're suffering, you've got to understand that somehow this whole thing works. If we suffer with him, we will reign with him. By now you have seen the title on the message. Has it been up there? I was going to say, by now you would have seen it. You're just seeing it for the first time? When do you want her to show up for training? Great job, sis. Thank you for all that you do. So by now, you see the title, Releasing God to be God. Have you ever been in a situation where you knew how to do something and they wouldn't let you do it? My wife is in that situation all the time. She doesn't use curse words, but she curses Apple. 
the iPhone, the iPad, anything electronic. Honey, it's given to me, and I'm like, no, I'm going to do that either. Can I get a ride home from somebody? I don't, okay. I don't need a ride home. She is technologically challenged, but you know what it feels like to be there. I know how to do that, but they won't let you do it. I want to talk about releasing God now. To be God. Stop trying to fix everything yourself. Deal with everything yourself. God wants you to let him be God. And that's our challenge. It's been a challenge to every generation before us. And it's our challenge today that we will release God to be God. For 33 and a half years, God confined himself, robed himself inside of a human body and subjected himself to all the limitations, all of the weaknesses, and all of the appetites of that human body, of that which was associated with being human. Hebrews 4.15, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. I have to believe that there was some point in his earthly life where Jesus thought to himself, now I know what they've been going through. Now I know what they've been dealing with a little more than I ever did before. So the God that spoke the heavens and the earth into existence was embodied in flesh. All the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily. The mighty God that unleashed the ten plagues on the land of Egypt, releasing the nation of Israel from 430 years of bondage, was baptized by a man by the name of John in the Jordan River. The God that said, Moses, stretch forth that rod. And when you get up in the morning, there's going to be a path to safety. That God was baptized in the water that he created by the man that he created. The God that set Mount Zion on fire and spoke so loud that the people of God begged Moses, tell him to stop. We can't take it anymore. He walked the dusty roads of Israel wearing a pair of sandals that were made by a cobbler, not an angel. They weren't spoken into existence. When you made a pair of sandals for Jesus and you guaranteed them, you better stand behind your product. During three and a half years of his earthly ministry, there was something that Jesus so wanted to say to his disciples, but he had to wait until after the resurrection because he was inside of humanity and submitted and, and committed to all of the limitations that went along with that. It's found in the 28th chapter of Matthew, leading into it, beginning in verse 16, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him. Can you believe what the word of God says? But some 
doubt? Perception. And Jesus came and spake unto them, and here's what he had wanted to say to them for three and a half straight years, but he had to wait. Talk about waiting. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Several weeks ago, I got to thinking about meditating on the sepulcher. It's probably been more like a couple months ago, thinking about the sepulcher where Jesus was buried. And there was something about that that I just could not get away from. And so in Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 42, let's read. Now, when the even was come, because it was the preparation uh, that's Passover. That is the day before the Sabbath. Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled if he were already dead and called, calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he had been any while dead. And when he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. Then he bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen, and laid him in a sepulcher, which, he was, which was hewn out of a rock, and rolled a stone under the door of the sepulcher. The mighty God, the child that was born, the prophetic Messiah was laid in this cave, and a stone was rolled over the door of the sepulchre. Then it says, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, beheld where he was laid. Aha. The only thing now that stands between the resurrected living Christ and the rest of the world is a stone. One large, heavy stone that probably took several men grunting and groaning to roll that stone in front of the entrance to the sepulcher that would seal the sepulcher. No one would be able to come in or go out. The only thing holding the resurrected living Christ from the rest of the world is that rock, that stone. See, I'm talking about releasing God. If you're going to release God, he has to be somewhere that you can release him from in order for him to be God. But there's always something in the way. There's always an obstacle in the way. There's always a reason. There's always an excuse why we are unable to release God from that confinement or from that location or from that place so that he can be all power, not just in heaven, but also in earth. I want you to keep in mind that for 4,000 years, that sepulcher where Jesus had been buried, that grave had been an unconquered domain. When they watched them roll that stone over the door, that was the end. That is finality. It is over. It is done. 
Amen. Jesus said it's finished on the cross, but in the minds of his disciples, this is it. Where do we go from here? Uh, this, is, this is the end of the road. And I believe there are miracles, supernatural manifestations and visitations of God that need to be released from wherever they are being held, wherever they are, wherever that power is, wherever that glory is. He's not in a body anymore. He's not encased in humanity anymore. But somehow God still needs to be released. Mark chapter 16, verse 1, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, listen to what they said, Who shall roll us away the stone? From the door of the sepulchre. Who is going to roll that stone away for us? We've got all of the myrrh and spices and aloes to anoint the body, but we have a problem. Who's going to roll the stone away for us? You know why I believe a lot of people come to the altar on a regular basis? Because they're hoping that somebody is going to roll this stone out of my way. Somebody is going to remove the object that's been holding me back from God's power and presence. Somebody is going to be able to move this immovable thing from before me so I can touch God and so that he can touch me and so I can receive something that I need from God that's substantial and powerful and miraculous. I believe people walk down the aisle on the way to the altar hoping that somebody has the faith, somebody has the power, somebody has the anointing, somebody will be able to move this thing out of my way because we understand God can do anything he's all powerful he's mighty he's everlasting all we need to do is get this thing moved out of our way so these faithful women knew there was a great stone blocking the entrance to the sepulchre but listen to me yet they went anyway We use terminology like we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But in their case, there was no bridge. <clears throat> Unfortunately, this thing continues, not the literal stone, of course, but the symbolic stone or rock or whatever that thing represents is holding us back. But God wants to be released so that he can be God in your life. Praise God. As a student of scripture, I wonder about a lot of things. The parable of the unjust judge, the woman kept coming and asking, 
And she received her answer because the Bible says of her importunity, her persistence. Jesus said, hear what the unjust judge saith. No, if you're not God, no regard man, the only way to stop you, lady, from coming is to give you what you want. And so if you've been anointed 150 times and nothing happened, how do you know that God is not already set the 151st time he's going to release you from your infirmity? You pray for this thing for days, weeks, months, maybe even years. How do you know that Monday morning, tomorrow morning, is when God is established in his sovereign will and purpose? When you, when you ask him for that tomorrow morning, he's going to hear from heaven and, and God's going to react and come down from wherever he has been held and is going to answer your prayer. At the exact same time these women were making their way to the sepulchre, Jesus was alive and ready to break out of his grave. Women of God have not changed, at least I don't think they have, in the last 2,000 years in that they pray even when the situation seems impossible. Men will go fishing, they'll go hunting, they'll go golfing when things get really hard. But it's been in the heart of a woman, just like it was with these gals that went to the sepulcher early while the men were back in Jerusalem sound asleep. A woman of God will pray when all hell is being released, even when the situation seems hopeless and impossible. Don't you think that us men do not appreciate that about you? So I think this may give us some insight as to why the women of God in the church will worship even when the way is blocked, even when the gate is closed, even when nothing is happening, even when nothing is moving because of something in the faith, in the heart of a woman that says, when I get there, that stone will be out of my way. But it's fascinating to me and if you do not understand what I'm about to say, please ask me about it later. I want to make sure you understand what I'm getting ready to say. Because it fascinates me that neither the women with their spices nor the men that were in Jerusalem asleep believed that Jesus would rise from the dead. And yet he did. You know, there are things God wants to do that we do not believe he will do. There are things that God wants to do. Now, this was sovereign. Every devil in hell couldn't have kept him in the grave. And I'm not saying that faith is not important. It is highly important to God. But it shows us that sometimes God wants to do things that we don't even believe he will do. So very early in the morning, something happened in a place where even their faith could not penetrate. 
So please understand that their perception of the man, the man, the man Christ Jesus is why they did not believe, even though he told him he would, that he was going to come back from the dead. See, what they did not know was that he who was in the grave was not just a man. The mystery of godliness, right? If you study Mary, his mother, she scratched her head through the whole thing. I don't know, but I know what Gabriel said. That's all I can tell you. I heard a thing the other day. I probably shouldn't even go into it, but it was, and it was on secular radio, folks. Apostolic Church, Jesus is coming, get yourself ready. Secular radio, they were telling a story about some shepherds and visions they had and, and about the mother Mary coming down and, and showing herself, you better get ready. There's getting ready to be supernatural manifestations and miracles outside of the apostolic community. Do not be deceived by it. That was secular radio. That was not Christian radio. Their perception of the man was so that they did not believe he could bring himself back from the dead. They did not know that who was in that cray, that cave, that sepulcher was the almighty God, the prince of peace, the everlasting father, Jehovah, El Shaddai, Adonai, Elohim was in that 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 cavern wanting to get loose. He had been in a body for three and a, or for 33 and a half years. Now he's in this cavern, this cave, and he is looking to break out. I'm not sure everybody in this room, but I hope I don't offend anybody by this. There's been some precious Baptist folk gathered for church this morning, and a God that's sitting there going, I just want to do something here. I just want to fill somebody with the Holy Ghost. I just want to bring somebody to an altar of deliverance and repentance. I just want to manifest the gifts of the Spirit and do something awesome and, and miraculous and, and mighty in your midst. But when it didn't happen, guess what? He came down to 11871 Plantation Road. I know where I can operate there. I know where I can reveal myself. I know where I can show my power. My God, he was ready to break free from the restraints of his humanity. And I'm not discounting inherent need and importance of faith by any stretch of the imagination. But that resurrection morning, there was an unconquered domain whose seal was broken once and for all. Beyond the scope of what anyone believed, the eternal grip of death was being broken. They couldn't see it, but it was happening. Beyond the latitude of human probability, I'm trying to take us somewhere, and, and, and I know it's taken me a while, but I'm trying to take us somewhere. Beyond the latitude, I mean, come on, they knew him. They walked with him. They, they watched the cripples get up and walk, and yet if this is beyond the latitude of anything they can possibly believe, we're on the cusp of that. We're, we're on the edge of that where God wants to begin to do things that's beyond the latitude of our probability. Ephesians 3.20, we quote it constantly. 
Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Could it be that he broke out of the grave 2,000 years ago, but he's still trying to break out of our small thinking? He's still trying to break out of our ability to perceive the mighty God, what he's able and willing to do. He is able, exceedingly abundantly able to do above anything you can even think or ask. You know what? I... I'm afraid I've been limiting God in my supplication and petition. I've been asking God for some things, but I can't even think. I can't even comprehend. I can't even enter into a, a, a thought process that, that will breach his power and his glory, what he's able to do. I'm trying to lead us somewhere. God wants to let out. He wants to get out. He wants to be released, and I don't have an answer to that because I can't wrap my mind around God. You, you can measure a nuclear blast or detonation or nuclear fission. You cannot measure God. And so I think a lot, of, I'll, I'll pick on me, a lot of my faith and petitions is in the realm of what I can measure and what I can get my arms around, what I can put a tape measure on, what I can comprehend. But God exists far beyond my comprehension. And he wants to move there. He wants to react there. He wants to reveal his power. That there's something in the way. On the other side of that, whatever is in the way, that stone, that hindrance, the obstacle, is our greatest miracle. On the other side of that is our greatest revival. On the other side of that is our greatest move of God. On the other side of that is an anointing, an anointing that will break every yoke. Worship team, musicians, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for your anointed, your ministry. Please join me here. Come on, brother. But really, isn't that the way God feels sometimes? <laughs> he thinks it's time to get up, and then we send him back down again. He thinks it's time to touch somebody. We, we're not done yet. Come, come, sit back down. We'll let you know when we're ready for you, God. Lord, help us. I wish the camera would have picked that up. I wish all you that are watching online could have seen that. Then you could laugh right along with us. I think it's time that we begin moving toward, that we make our way toward these unconquered domains in our life. I think it's time that we do whatever we have to do to get there and 
while we're moving toward them, have the faith to believe that whatever's blocking us, or blocking him, I should say, will somehow be removed out of the way. Matthew 28, the end of the Sabbath, it began to dawn toward the first day of the week came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. One of the things that I pondered for, I pondered for weeks is, God, why in the world didn't you just do that yourself? And it led me here today, so... There's a reason for that question mark in my mind. Concerning the angel said his countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow and for fear of him, the keepers, the soldiers that were there to guard the sepulchers to make sure the body was not stolen did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. Oh, I like that. The angels say, hey, I know why you're here. I know why you came this morning. You came seeking Jesus. Now, he didn't belittle them, put them down, saying, well, you came seeking a dead one, but you're going to get a live one. The fact that you're here, I honor you. The fact that you're here right now seeking Jesus in any form, in any way, dead, alive, in the middle, the fact that you're here, the angel said, I'm excited about that. He is not here, they said, or he said, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring the disciples' word. Please stand with me. So I really wondered. I, I wondered about it for a long time now. Why God, who created the universe, a universe, by the way, that is still expanding from a word that he spoke millennia ago, why God who created the universe would not just move the stinking stone himself? Why he would not just pulverize it into dust? But it reminded me of Lazarus who predated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you read the story, they're pretty similar. When Jesus met Mary and Martha in Bethany, he said unto them, Where have ye laid him? Oh, Holy Ghost. Where have you laid him? He didn't say, Where have you buried him? Because burial is permanent, burial is forever. No, he said, where did you lay him? I'm going to tell you right now, some of you have some things that you have already buried that will never happen, that God wants to resurrect your faith and for you to start believing that he is going to do it. 
He's going he's gonna to do some things that you've already quit praying about and give up on. Where have you laid him? Praise God. To them, and perhaps to some of us, that hope, that faith, that thing that we desired or that we needed has already been buried. The epitaph has been etched upon. The, the gravestone has been put in place. But not to Jesus. To Jesus, Lazarus is not buried. He's just laying in a cave somewhere. Waiting. To be awoke. Awoken. Waken. I don't even like the word woke anymore. I hate that word. That social thing, that woke stuff. They're weeping and crying. Jesus starts crying. Everybody says, oh, look how he loved him. They're crying because Lazarus was dead. Crying because of all of the grief and unbelief that surrounded him when he wanted to do something awesome and great. And so he sees right now the need that you have. He sees where you put it last and the dust it's collecting, how it's been neglected, and how he sees it and how you see it, I, want you, I hope you understand right now, are two different ways. How you see it and how he sees it are completely and totally different. In your mind, your miracle exists behind a wall where you cannot reach it. Where you cannot breach it. But that is just a matter of perception. Now, I don't know who the sickest person is in this room. I, I don't know. I don't think we need to bid on who's the sickest person. All I know is I'm glad I'm not the oldest person. But if the sickest person in this room came up right now and we anointed them and prayed for them, the best we would hope for is that God would heal them of their infirmity. That's that's all we can think. That's the best we can think and reason. The best we can figure out that God could do. But do you realize that God operates beyond that? And that God could take that sick person, not only heal them, but knock 30 years off their life? Pray for me, folks. I'm first in line. What am I trying? I'm telling you, we've got this thing figured out what we think God might do. And God said, hey, I want to do so much more than that. Could it be that the real sepulcher is not in Jerusalem? It's in our mind. This is important, and honestly, I'm almost finished. Jesus, John 11, therefore again groaning in himself, coming to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. 
course, Martha's saying, come on, Lord, he stinks by now. Four days. The exact words in John's gospel is then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. I'm getting ready to open the altar now. They took away the stone where the dead was laid and it was not until they took the stone away that Jesus stood and cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. You want that miracle? You want that blessing? You want that breakthrough? You have got to move the stone out of the way and release God to be God. Move that thing out of the way. You may need help. Jesus used an angel to move his stone. If you need help, I'm going to tell you right now because I felt impressed of this in prayer this morning. When you put your hands on that object, that immovable, that, 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 uh, that, that object that just refused to give way, God's impressed me that when you put your hands on that thing in prayer in the altar, there will be an angel that will put his hands on it right alongside of you. It will lay his hands over your hands because there's some things going to be moved today and then God's going to be released to reveal his power. All he wants is to be God. Let me be God. Let me be who I am. Let me do what I do. Let me reveal myself to you beyond your human understanding and reasoning. Let me reveal my power and my glory. Let me be God. Will somebody release me? so I can be God. I hope I'm not the only one that feels the nearness of God right now. Ooh, hallelujah, Jesus. I hope I'm not the only one that senses His presence and that God has showed up with an army ready to reveal himself, ready to deliver, ready to heal, ready to be the same God that said, let there be a heaven and an earth releasing his creative power among the redeemed of God. Come to this altar right now. Bring those burdens. Bring those heavy loads. Come somewhere and bow before him. Put your hands on that immovable object and let God and the angels of God help you move that thing out of your way so that he can be God in your life. So that he can be God in your situation. So that he can operate outside of your understanding, outside of your comprehension, outside of anything you could possibly think or even ask him to do.
if you come to that impervious, immovable object, lay some faith on it right now. If you can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, put your hand on that thing right now and move it out of your way. In the name of Jesus, the God that parted the Red Sea is in this room right now. Woo! The God that scooped up a handful of dirt and made a man is in this room right now. The God that said, let there be light is in this room right now. I can't explain him. I can't describe him. There are no words. There's no intellect. There are no statements. There's no way. Let's just let him be God. Let him operate beyond our understanding. Let him operate beyond our thinking. Let him step out of that tomb and be God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All he wants is to be God, to do what God does to do what God can do. You talk about a mountain mover. You talk about a giant slayer. You talk about revival and outpouring of God beyond anything we could possibly think or ask. Hallelujah, Jesus. Jesus, we believe you are Jehovah. You're the mighty God. And we release your power right now. We release your power right now. We release your glory in this place. There isn't anything you cannot do. There is nobody you cannot heal. There's no devil you cannot defeat. Hallelujah. Come on, let him part the waters. Hallelujah. Come on, the God of fire is in this place. And all he wants is to be God. Glory, glory, glory. Come on, just don't let go of it. 
reveal yourself. Come on, brother, let him out. Let him out. Come on, let's get together and move that stone out of the way. Where two or three shall agree, touching anything, it shall be done unto them. All he's asking us to do right now is believe.
He's just asking us to believe right now. Believe for things we cannot see. Believe for things we cannot understand. Believe for things beyond our comprehension. Hallelujah. Just believe. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, wells are beginning to spring up. Hell is beginning to retreat.
Come on, he's moving right now in places where we can't even go. Come on, Bradley, this is the beginning of a new anointing. This is the beginning of a breakthrough. The beginning of a new stage of your ministry. Thank you, Jesus. I've always heard it said that we should ask for big things. And I know you've heard that as well. But when you think about it, he exists in a realm where we can't even, we, there's nothing we could ask that would challenge God. We can't even think in terms of his power, might, and ability. So when we ask for big things, to him they're still small. You understand that? But I think what he needs us to do, since we can't think in that realm, we need to start believing for things that are outside of the realm of our understanding. Not just for the things we ask for, but the things that are beyond what we can even think or ask. Before I dismiss you, I was thinking about uh, when my father passed away in 1996. He was not saved, and uh, I was tormented, deeply tormented uh, at his passing, not only from the normal grief of losing my father, who I was very close to, but the fact that he was lost, and I won't explain 
how the enemy tormented me, but one of the things that troubled me was uh, my dad was cremated. Uh, we never got to see a body that was prepared, laying in a casket. We, my mother, my sister, and I drove the urn. His ashes was put into St. Louis. Uh, I carried them from the trunk, which was very hard for me, into the mausoleum, handed them over to them, and then we performed a service there. Uh, actually, not there. It was at an apostolic church, uh, the sanctuary. And after that, I was tormented because I never got to say goodbye. You see, there's a reason why we do the body the way we do. They call it closure. I don't know, whatever. And I didn't have that, and so I was tormented by that. And one night, I had a dream. My dad was a truck driver. He was very dark-complected. He always claimed he was a Cherokee Indian, whether it was true or not, I don't know. He was dark enough to be, <coughs> or to be part Cherokee, and he, being a truck driver, he always had his arm out the window, and it was twice as dark as the other arm. But I remember dad always drove with his arm out the window, the car, the truck, whatever. So I had this dream, and I'm at a car show. I'm not into cars, so that was bizarre. I'm at this car show, I'm walking around looking at cars, and I see a car over here from... And I see an arm on hanging out the window, sitting out the door. Walked around, and it was my dad. And I had a conversation with my father right there. I woke up crying. God loved me so much. He gave me a dream that was so vivid and real. And I do not remember dreams, but I remember that like it happened 10 minutes ago. He loves me so much that he let me have that dream and speak to my father. And it was such a relief to me. I'm telling you, God loves you and wants to go beyond anything you can possibly think or imagine. Not just for you, but for his church, for the cause of revival. Why would we pray for a hundred soul revival when God can give us a thousand soul revival? Why would we limit him to a number when it could be 10,000. It could be 20. You see what I mean? God wants us to let him out so that he can be the God that he is. Amen. Love you guys so much. Appreciate everything you do. Worship team, ushers, cleaners, everybody. Thank you so much. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.